Welcome to Steps, a podcast celebrating people and their stories. Far too often, we don't give people the opportunity to share their journey, where they've come from, what they've overcome, and the amazing things that have happened in their lives. That's what we're going to do on Steps. We'll have real conversations with real people to understand how they've gotten to this place in time. Confucius said, the journey of 1,000 miles starts with a single step. So, let's start this journey. Today's guest on Steps is Carly Wilpat. Carly is currently a professional beach volleyball athlete who got her start on the indoor side of the game. In our chat, we discuss her journey from an early age and her recruitment to Stanford. While at Stanford, Carly suffered the loss of her twin sister, Sam. We talk about this moment in her life and how it affected her, along with how it shaped her view on how she lives her life now. We also dig in on the transition from indoor to beach volleyball and how the dream of being a firefighter became a goal that quickly became her reality. A quick note, during this episode, we speak on the topic of suicide. If you or someone you know is in need of help, we will have resources linked in the show notes. Now, let's get into the conversation with Carly. Hey there, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, that's. I like hearing that. I mean, great is a good thing. I see you're smiling. I things are good. Things are good. I'm curious, and our listeners, I know, are always curious. Where in the world are you right now? Right now, I'm in my apartment in Redondo Beach, California. Um, I'm here mostly to train and play volleyball on the beach because Hermosa in Manhattan is the mecca of beach volleyball. Mm-hmm. And I had two practices earlier today already, so. Wait, you've had two, you've already had two practices. Like I I can't even fathom this because again, like having been a coach and having like, I get it, but like you're outdoors and you're doing that. Like walk us through two practices already today. And I'm sure you got more stuff going too later on. Um, So eight to 10 AM I joined a USA development program that they recently started. Jose Mm -hmm. Loyola is currently the head coach of it. And it's a great opportunity. I really like what they're trying to develop with it. Um, But it's a bunch of girls who are kind of coming out of college. Um, They're not quite established yet on um, the international tour, I guess, representing Mm -hmm. USA. But uh, they have a lot of potential and they want to compete internationally. So um, really high level focused practices. It kind of reminds me of uh, what we did with the indoor national team, Um, having that kind of structure and support. So I'm a big fan of it. And then after that, I went and worked with Scott Davenport. He's been helping me with some technical stuff with the game. Um, So I did an hour and a half with him. All right on. I mean, again, like I, I bring that up and I always ask the question because again, obviously indoor training is different than beach training and all of that stuff. And obviously, and again, you're competing at some of the highest levels possible. I mean, again, I know that I saw you out there competing in, at NBO last weekend and, you know, I mean, again, it's like, that's the kind of the granddaddy of them all. Like, what was that experience like out there? You know, I mean, right where you play and where you practice and all that stuff. Yeah. I. Uh nothing can relate, I think, to that kind of atmosphere. I just love competing um, 
in that kind of space. It's so exciting. And I like that kind of pressure and adrenaline. Um, the AVP did a phenomenal job, I think, of setting everything up. There was a lot of spectators. I think it was a very successful event for them as well. But people fly out from all over different states and everything to go to the Manhattan Beach Open. It's It literally is the granddaddy of beach volleyball tournaments. Um, so being able to play and compete and meet so many different people. And we had so many fans and just supporters that kind of popped up along the way. They would watch us play and they would be like, oh, I really like you guys. We're going to follow you the rest of the tournament and cheer for you. Um, So just that kind of uh, support and community is the coolest thing. And uh, I don't think you can find it in a lot of other sports. It's, Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty unique and special to beach volleyball. I mean, you just said you got groupies based on, you know, how you were playing and people started following you around. So, I mean, again, it's, I think it's super unique. And again, so for our listeners that maybe aren't volleyball uh, you know, fans or don't even kind of understand AVP and the, the process and everything, right? Like there's, there's main draw. And then there, again, there's like where you have to kind of qualify on in. Can you explain like that process and kind of what you went through just to be able to kind of play on the weekend? Yes. So there's a 32 team main draw um, and eight teams came out of the qualifier, which is a, a pretty high number, but it is again, um, probably the most significant beach volleyball tournament of the year. Uh, so Katie and I, we didn't have enough points to make the main draw and we had to go through the qualifier which meant we were playing on Thursday. Um, It's single elimination. We played two matches. Both went to three sets, and Mm -hmm. they were good battles. Um, But we prevailed. We're good at winning three setters. We figured out now. Put that on the resume, right? Like excels at three set matches. Excels at three set matches. Now, we both both know how to grind, so it's really fun to play with Katie um, because we both are in it for the long haul. And I think some people will tap out after a certain point, but we both uh, know that I'll run down anything she gets up. She'll, I know, chase down a ball that I happen to like get up somehow. So, um, it's really fun to play with her and, and have those kind of matches. Hopefully we, we don't always go to three sets, but <laughs> Um, winning those two matches, I think were a big confidence boost for us. And, uh, it just felt great to qualify for the, for the Manhattan open. It's one yeah. of the best tournaments and just the level of play in the qualifier itself is, is very high. Um, you have a lot of young, talented teams, um, who just haven't been able to play in a lot of those tournaments and get the points. Mm-hmm. Um, so the talent and skill level is there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, like it's, it's fascinating. And again, I, to your point, right? Like based on it being in Manhattan beach, right? There's a lot of people that can go ahead and try and do, you know, do the qualifier, do the play in matches because mm-hmm. again, I mean, it's, it is, it's the volleyball Mecca and, 
like even because I was uh, I was on Instagram, I was taking a look. I think I saw like Carly Lloyd was out there trying. The, uh, she was in doing yeah. some of that stuff, and like, but that that's a that's an interesting transition because um, I, you played with Carly. What was it like the weekend before or two weekends before? You guys were you guys played competed in six man, yeah, yeah. And actually, I practiced with her this morning. She was my partner at the. Oh US no way! Center. Yeah, so she's uh, been dabbling with some beach, and I think at some point. Um, next season or the season after she's thinking about making the transition mm-hmm. so it's been fun fun to see her out there and she's super athletic um, has great hands already so I think I think she has a lot of potential to be a great beach player but yeah it's cool to cool to play with her on the beach now as well after um, having the background together on the indoor national team. Yeah, for sure. And like, there's a lot of people that do that transition, right? Like, I mean, again, by virtue of my old, old life, you know, I, uh, good friends with Alex Kleinman, right? Like Alex made the transition from indoor to beach, right? Like you've made the transition from indoor to beach, right? Like, like Taylor Sander, right? Like he's making the transition. He successfully made the transition from indoor to beach. And like, why do you think that that is so successful? Yeah, so successful, and then also kind of like the next, the evolution of where you go. The evolution of where you like go. the evolution of, from a playing perspective, right? Like, and again, we'll get to, into your playing journey, but like, yeah, it just naturally seems like it's indoor to beach, indoor to beach. Well, I think I think that evolution happens because of life circumstances. A lot of people will start families, for example, and going and playing overseas is really a grind. Um, I don't think a lot of the population realizes how hard it is. They just know that uh, we play professional volleyball. and But they don't understand that you're going to a foreign country by yourself. You're isolated from all family and friends. They speak a different language. It's a different culture. Um, there's just a lot of challenges with it. And I think once you have a baby or a family, um, it gets that much more difficult because um, you have those responsibilities and priorities now. So uh, after a certain amount of time, I think that's one of the big reasons why people will make the transition to beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also longevity wise. For me, that was, a, I think, part of it is... Um, it's just a lot easier on your body. It's in some ways, it's actually way more metabolic. I think than indoor you burn a lot more calories and you have to use up a lot more energy because there's two of you on the court. You're moving in sand. Mm -hmm. um, You're involved in every single play. It uses different muscles. Um, It's not as quick twitch as playing on hardwood floor. Um, But everything is less impact. Um, so I haven't had any serious injuries since I, uh, turned to beach volleyball and started playing in 2018. Whereas indoor, there was always some, something I was managing. Like I would tear ab muscles. I don't know how. Um, and my knees, I had bad patellar tendonitis. Yeah. I remember getting some foot injuries, um, just like stress fractures and stuff like that. So 
Um, yeah, the only stuff that you got is like that, that pinky you got there right now. Yeah, pinky. <laughs> I uh, fractured it in the qualifier for the MBO. And it's called mallet finger, but I damaged the extensor tendon. So I have to keep this brace on oh, six weeks, which keeps it in a straight position. And apparently it'll heal itself. I don't have to get any kind of surgery. So I can still play. I just have to wear this. And then I've been taping it to this finger. Is that your left hand? It's my left hand. Okay. And I've, I've been hand setting with it too. So Really? It's been coming out clean? Yeah. <laughs> right on. But yeah, back to the beach transition. I also think um, you find or you see a lot of successful transitions from indoor to beach because it brings a different level of athleticism to the beach. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the indoor players are big. They're physical. They know how to swing, <laughs> how to hit yeah. the ball. And uh, players who solely grow up playing only beach volleyball, I think they lack some of that athleticism and power, I guess. Um, yeah, that's great. No, it, I mean, but it makes sense, right? Like, and again, it's, and I'm not taking, I, I was an indoor coach for, you know, eight years collegiately. Like I, I don't, I'm not taking anything away from the indoor game. Right. But so in some cases, right. It's, see ball hit ball and hit ball as hard as you can right again and at the higher levels right I, to your point it's the athleticism there is a lot of strategy involved in everything like that but like even if you're talking a mid-tier you know uh, program right at the athletic teams or the more physical teams will typically have a little bit of an advantage right and again to your point if you grow up on the beach right you're just you're seeing a different game right it's it's a little bit and i'm i'm not taking this is a little bit of a generalization but like it's a little bit more finesse. It's a little bit more all around player. Yeah. Yes. And that's something that you have to, that I've had to learn. For example, yeah. coming to the beach, I can, I can hit the ball for sure, but learning the finesse side of the game, that takes a little bit of time. And then also just, um, it's, there's so many different intricacies on how you use your body. Uh, in beach, you're lifting the ball so much more indoor. It's, speed and angles and you're shooting it but you can't do that you can't do that on the beach because it's so much harder to read where the ball's going mm -hmm. um, so it, mechanics and technique there are there are a lot of differences um but i think if you if you're especially thinking about playing at the highest level you have to have uh, a certain level of athleticism and if you look at the female side of the game, for example, there's a lot of good players who can shoot and hit spots and move the ball around. But if you want to uh, really set yourself apart and have an edge, I think you need to have the ability to put the ball away and mm -hmm. uh, put up a big block too. For Right now, it's scarce to find big blockers on the beach because there's so many medium sized players who are very fundamentally sound and they're, they're good with, with hands and placement. Um, but again, I think there's certain things that intangibles that can't really be taught and indoor players um, like Alex Klein, for example, she's just, she's so tall. 
mm-hmm. and she puts up a massive block. Yeah. Um, so that can't uh, be taught, I guess. No, that's you're you're absolutely right. I mean, again, there's a saying amongst coaches, right? You can't teach tall. Like you just you can't. And no, that's that's spot on. Before we like, and again, I, I want to dig in on your transition, like, and what prompted all that. But I actually think that it probably, I want to pay some tribute to kind of what happened before and kind of your journey to the, to that point. And um, if we can potentially like rewind just a little bit, sure. curious, like, again, growing up, you know, club volleyball, all that kind of progress into Stanford and then the indoor side of things for you. Um, so starting at like what, what we can roll, whatever, uh, when did you start first start playing? Cause again, well, here's, I'll rewind, right? Like, obviously you've got a family that's full of athletes, right? Athletes. Like, I mean, you know, your dad was in the Olympics, you know, your, your mom, gymnast, all that kind of stuff, right? Brothers, just all that, all those things. You got a family of athletes. So like, when did, when did the volleyball bug get you? Uh, volleyball bug got me around the age of 10 years old and we had a PE teacher at my elementary school who started an after school volleyball team and her name was Tina Brown. So my sister and I joined and had a ton of fun. It was basically at that age. It's basically like, is this fun or not? So yeah, yeah. (laughs) She made it super fun. Um, and I don't know. We played a lot of different sports growing up, gymnastics, basketball, track and field, volleyball. Um, started playing club volleyball at age 12 and quickly realized as we progressed through high school that uh, this was something we could really be good at. I remember being pulled up to the 18s club team when I was 15 years old. Ooh. And it was a little daunting. Um, I definitely felt out of place, but it gave me plenty of exposure, uh, to college recruiters and to, I think the highest level of the club game at a young age. And for me, that was a point where I was like, okay, this is, uh, kind of where I, I should focus my energies, uh, because I can really see a trajectory for me into college and beyond. And I think when you realize that you can be really good at something that Mm -hmm. just kind of lights a fire in you and um, momentum compounds and you get better and better. So uh, volleyball became that, that sport for me. And and it's interesting. You say like age 15 to 18, right? Because again, I've coached club at age 15 and, that's the most awkward age that I've ever coached in my entire life. Right. Like, because at age 15, females are usually like they're growing into their bodies. It's all of these different things. It's boys, it's the struggles at school, it's all that stuff. And then here you are, you're being asked to compete with somebody that's a senior in high school or seniors in high school. Yeah. And like, that's gotta be like, that's one of those wake up moments. Like, Oh, like what the hell is going on here? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I can't imagine, right? Like I've got a daughter and she's tall for her age. And, you know, if we get the opportunity to kind of make that choice, Hey, do you want to play up? Do you want to play down? Whenever she actually decides to play something like 
that's going to be a tough decision because again, like, do you compete at the level that your your peers are at? Do you compete at a higher level? Obviously, it worked out well for you, but in some cases, I've I've heard that it doesn't work out that well. Yeah, in some cases, I mean, there it was emotionally challenging just because I don't think I was uh, totally there. Um, resilience wise. Mm-hmm. Like I remember that there's times where the pressure would get to me or I'd be pulled off the court and I'd start crying and just, I don't know, like I still had some more development to do with the mental side of the game. Um, but when you are put in those kind of situations where you have to rise to the occasion, you will rise to the occasion. So I think in the long run, it is smart to uh, play up and get outside of your comfort zone. Um, even though it can be challenging. Um, I think a lot of times mentally and emotionally for, for younger athletes. So. Yeah. And again, I'm, it's obviously where it worked out for you. And I assume like your, did your sister play up with you as well? You guys like, I mean, twin sister, is it, was that natural or no? No, she wasn't pulled up at the same time as me. Ah, okay. Was there a little, was there some, something like, did she have a little animosity around that? I think she, I think she was a little bit upset, but, um, the team she was put on, she, uh, I don't know, found a lot of success and was kind of a leader there for them. So, um, and then we were both different positions too. I was a middle blocker at that point and she was an outside hitter. So, um, it worked out, but you know, it, it is hard. It was hard being, being a twin and always feeling like you're being compared. A lot of times I don't think there even was that comparison, but just amongst each other, like it's all, it's like having a built-in buddy, but also a built-in competitor in a sense, because you feel like um, you're always being, uh, like if she did really well on something and I did not um, just that comparison was, was hard. <laughs> well, I can, I can only imagine. I mean, again, yeah, I can only imagine, right? Here's your twin sister, right? Like, and, but, and vice versa. I'm sure she felt the same way, right? Like, but, but that's. But you know what? I think that push and pull is honestly what made us so successful in a lot of things. I was going to ask that. Yeah, go with that yeah, a little bit. Because I look at I look at my my life and I can like rattle off all kind of like a bunch of crazy achievements and I'm like, what has been a founding factor? And I think honestly, it's being a twin because it's so um, ingrained in me, uh, and it just over time this work ethic and this discipline and this grit sort of developed. But I mean, growing up, we also had great parents, a great environment, and they instilled um, just strong values and uh, again, work ethic. And um, so we had, I think, a strong foundation there. Mm -hmm. But then I, I don't it's just hard to explain, but I think if she was doing anything, doing, I don't know, in school, if she was getting straight A's, I would be like, okay, well then I should get straight A's too. Right. Um, yeah. And then in volleyball, I'd see her go up and hit the ball and I'm like, oh, well I can do that too. I'm going to go up and, and 
hit that ball and get a kill. And so it's just, it's like having a, a mirror, (laughs) a mirror image in a way, but you realize, um, you can be doing, I don't know, I'd see her, her successes and I'd be like, okay, I can do the same thing. And then you just keep moving up. And it's the, yeah. It's that ladder. Like it's like one, like you, you just one person sets it just a little, sets the bar just yep. a little bit higher and it just kind of keeps laddering up and based off of that ladder. Right. Like, I mean, you guys found yourself at one of the best volleyball programs and one of the best schools in the country and was wondering if you, could, you wanted to talk about like that journey into Stanford and how all that happened for y'all. Yeah. So I remember uh, we started to think about what kind of college we wanted to go to. And before you go, were you guys a package deal? No, we weren't. But um, I think we both had the same high standards for where we wanted to go. And Stanford was both of our top choices. So um, it started off as sort of a distant dream, I guess. We we just heard about Stanford and how amazing of a school it was. It's basically the Ivy League of the West Coast. Um, and I don't know, I was just like, oh, wow, that would be a really cool school to go to. But I didn't even think it was possible. Um, and then as we started getting recruited, uh, we uh, – reached out to Stanford because that's, they're one of the few schools you have to make contact with first. They yeah. don't send out like recruitment letters. Um, and Denise Corlett got back to us. Uh, she came and watched us play and things just started falling in place. And I remember realizing like, wow, this is actually happening. We're, we have a really high chance of going to our dream school. And it was just the coolest feeling to, uh, see everything manifest and come to fruition. And um, again, we worked, we were very sound academically, I think mm-hmm. partly because both of our parents were math teachers. Um, so grades were not an issue for us. Um, and then um, we were some of the top recruits, I believe in the nation. So you were it all. Uh, <laughs> yeah it all lined up um, perfectly for Stanford because it is a really, it is a really challenging school, I think, to, to get into. And you do have to get in academically, even if you're getting recruited as an athlete. For sure. And that's, that's the unique piece about some of the, you know, again, those high academic schools, right? Like, so it's, yeah, you can, you, you check the box academically or you check the box athletically, but then, okay, how do you, can you check the box academically? And so, like that's that's amazing, and again, you mentioned Denise, right? Denise and you know head coach John Dunning. I mean, they get legends within within the space, and I I remember just being able to have conversation with John and go up and talk to him randomly when he was sitting down recruiting and watching some kids play. And like, but that's I understand it, right? Like, it's having coach having been part. Like, that's something once you know what it's about, it's like, oh, I want to be a part of that. Exactly. So for me, honestly, people ask me like, where would you have gone if you didn't go to Stanford? And it's so hard to answer because there was in, there was no backup school that I honestly, I would have wanted to go to. Um, I remember going and visiting like Cal and USC and UCLA, but it was always just Stanford. 
So it's always Stanford. It was always Stanford. And I think it was the perfect school for us. So super fortunate to, to get together. And looking back, I'm just like, honestly, I want to do it all over again. Yeah. I would go back. Yeah. Because I think those four years, um, and I'm sure other, other athletes can attest to this. You don't even realize how lucky you are a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but you have so many great resources and trainers and facilities and everything is right there available for you. Um, and then when you move on from life, you're on your own. We move on in life. You're on your own with a lot yeah, of go figure it out. Here you go. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, sometimes I just, I wish I had not taken um, some of it for granted, but I don't think I, I knew in the moment uh, how lucky I was in a lot of ways. And then the professors you have, they're all the best in their fields. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. You go in and to a new class and you get a textbook and you're looking at it and then you look up and you're like, Oh, they wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best of the best. Like, I mean, again, like you said, it's Ivy league of what of the West coast. Yes. Yes. Nice. So, um, just the opportunity to get to learn from those people, uh, is incredible. So sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I want to go like learn from, from those kinds of professors and, top people in their fields again is a pretty radical experience. That's right. And again, I mean, I think that's the cool thing right now about like this day and age though, is you can connect and you can follow and you can learn from people. I mean, social media has obviously evolved that, right. And you can find a way to connect with people that are doing things at a high level. Um, One of the guys that I follow a lot on Instagram, who's like a brilliant mind is uh, Andrew Huberman. And I think he's based out of Stanford, right? Like I follow him too. Yeah, he's. Yeah, so I listen to his podcast. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I mean, and again, a lot of the stuff he says is way above me. But again, if I'm not, he's a Stanford guy. Like those are the type of people. So I can understand if you're if you're a high academic person or you have a thirst for knowledge and want to grow, right? Like that's the environment to be in. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of miss. I think that's what I miss is being around though so many just like minded, driven, amazing people. It's. It's kind of insane. Yeah, I mean, and again, that, but, and then you take that to an athletic standpoint, right? Like, I mean, you're literally competing with like-minded driven people who are also super high athletic ability. So, I mean, again, I joked about it when we, you and I were talking, I was fortunate enough to, to coach against you your freshman year. And then it was, I think it was Alex's senior or junior year, right? Like, but you know, she torched us for 24 kills. You had, I think, six kills on one error. And this is when I was volunteering at Marquette. But like, you're you're out there beating the hell out of people. And then also you're just brilliant minds. And again, that to me is just like, it, it's fascinating and amazing. And I can't applaud people like you or athletes that compete at the highest level, both academically and athletically enough. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to, like, let's talk about your journey at Stanford, right? Because you said you would go back and do from aspects of that, but like your journey was a little atypical than many athletes. And, you know, I was, I was wondering if you'd be able to kind of share a little bit about that and kind of dig in. Yes. So I did have, my college years were 
some of the most rewarding, like I mentioned, times, um, but also some of the most difficult. Uh, in 2012, when Sam and I were 19 years old, it was our sophomore year, she unexpectedly passed away. Um, and it was by suicide, which made it a lot more difficult. Um, she had been struggling with depression for some time, and I don't think she was totally equipped uh, with all the tools yet to kind of cope and handle it. Um, she was seeing a therapist and my family. Um, we all knew about it and we were doing our best to uh, support her, but um, she went off medication without telling anyone. Mm. And I think a lot of people know that when you're taking antidepressants and you go off, uh, your brain can do some, some funky things. So that's the only thing we really uh, were able to figure out. But um, it was a tragic experience for me because I had spent the day with her um, studying at a Starbucks off campus and I went to go get an MRI of my knee and then I came back uh, to do some more studying and I just happened to stop by her dormitory. Uh, I'm not totally sure why. I was thinking of going back to mine and studying but I was like I'll just stop by and see see if she's there and study and um I was uh, the first person to find her, um, and I initiated the uh, first responder response. Um, so I think that I made it a lot more difficult for me, but... Um, I also think that's one of the reasons why I decided to become a first responder <laughs> is uh, because of that, uh, I guess, incident or that moment. Um, I know I, I couldn't have saved her in a sense, but um, if I can save someone else, then I'd be making a difference in a way. Um, but yeah, that was a very, I mean, it's hard to describe, but my whole world came come crumbling down. I think there's constructs and, um, you points you build up over time and then certain things can just bring it all to the ground. So that was really hard for me. Um, I had a hard time focusing on schoolwork afterwards. So my sophomore year was kind of like, uh, I was just floating. It was a little bit of a haze. Um, and I just wanted to be around people. My uh, perspective on a lot of things shifted. Um, just cause I, I 
thought about life differently. I wanted to make the most of every moment, enjoy it. Um, again, I, th- I think <laughs> um, I just wanted to be around people. It was also hard to be alone. I couldn't be um, by myself for a long time. Um, I think you get used to, or for me, I was used to always having a twin sister and a buddy to uh, talk to and be with. And then all of a sudden not having that there. um, It was just weird. Challenging. Yeah, Um, I I can imagine. And uh, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep going and you can steer it from wherever I do want to just call out. Like, I want to thank you for sharing because again, like, I I know and I can see and I understand the difficulty of this. And there's there's a lot to unpack, a lot to share. And the fact that you're willing to share this and also share how you found some some ways to move forward and continue to keep going. Like I'm grateful for that. And I know that anybody listening that you know this is this is really huge. And I I'm grateful for your vulnerability. And it's like Thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing this. And you know, wherever, you, however you want to go, I am curious a little bit. You said you wanted to live, like you, you wanted to savor the moments. You wanted to be around people and all that stuff. But like, mm-hmm. did Sam's passing? How, like, how did Sam's passing spark that in you? Like, bring that out in you? So I think people grieve in different ways, um, and it was. Uh, you could even see it in my family. Uh, we all coped with it in, in different ways. Um, some people will fall into a sort of depression um, and they'll have a really hard time uh, doing just normal day-to-day activities. Um, for me, it was the opposite. So I was like, I don't know, I'm not going to crumble. No, I actually got mad. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and I remember a therapist, um, describing my personality as someone who spits in the face of fear. Mm. <laughs> and that is sort of how I dealt with it. Um, I felt like I wanted to live life to the fullest, uh, for both Sam and I. And from that moment on, it was just, it was a massive paradigm shift. Um, and it was, it was hard to focus on things. I think like school, because, uh, I didn't see the significance of some of it (laughs) in the long run. And honestly, I I do think college education is hugely important, but a lot of it is not totally necessary. So, um, it was, it was a, a big shift for me and it took, it took some time, I think, to settle. And, uh, I still have that same sort of sense of urgency, I guess, with time. My biggest pet peeve is wasted time. So, and you can talk to my family, everybody knows this, but I hate, um, wasting time. And What what do you mean by that? Um, 
I, I see each and every day as an opportunity. Um, and I'm going to make the most of it in whatever pursuit I'm, I'm currently after. I, I'm a big list maker even, and I'll plan out my days. Um, I don't know time-wise and I'll have, I don't know, a list of everything I want to accomplish. But, um, I just, I can't stand wasted time. Um, anytime, I don't know if I'm, if I'm going to do a volleyball practice or I'm working with someone on a project too, um, I have a really hard time if I don't feel like it's uh, the efficiency that is there or the attention and the focus. Um, because to me, again, I, I just see time as the most valuable resource. And um, if you're going to be there, then you should use it uh, to the full advantage. I, I agree completely. And again, as we were chatting a little bit beforehand, right, like, and we'll get into kind of how every, how this has evolved your, your thinking, but like being able to go out and maximize the use of our time and get out and get after it and try to do accomplish things that we want to set out for and challenge ourselves and all that. Like, again, I, I think that that has become more mainstream, but that wasn't necessarily the case in 2012, 2013, 2014, as you're going through this. Right. And so like, I believe that obviously your mindset mindset shift was a little bit ahead of the curve, but it was also to your point, right. It was one of the ways that you grieved. And this is one of the ways that you decided how you wanted to live your life because of what happened. And yes. I think that a lot of people, allow things to happen to them or like, or they can, to your point, evolve and they can go ahead and just determine that it's going to change the trajectory or here's this fork in the road and I have a choice how I want to deal with this. And yes. This is you the route either, that you've um, Yeah. I think there's a choice involved with how you're going to respond to uh, any kind of uh, challenge or difficulty that life throws at you. And you see that fork in the road with a lot of different people and they can go down um, one path of sort of self-destruction mm -hmm. or they can go down another path um, that allows them to rise and build and grow and they become a lot stronger from it. So if you look, I think at a lot of people who have um, done great things in their lives it's not like they had an easy path. I think they experienced a lot of these forks in the road and they continued to choose the right one. And in the end, you come out a lot stronger. And those experiences are, I think, pivotal to um, developing character and life skills. You have to go through through the, the hard times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and I've shared in the past, like, again, my mom passed away and all that stuff. And everybody's like, Oh, you know, I bet you wish you could go back. And like, like, no, like, again, this is as far as my life, right? This is the life that I've chosen to live beyond that. And from that perspective, right? Like, all of everything that has happened to me to this moment has happened 
because of that moment, right? Like, it, like that was, it has happened. I cannot rewrite it. And it's the reason that I am the person that I am today. And I'm grateful for the moment, even though in the moment, it was one of the hardest things that I've ever had, ever had to deal with in my entire life. And I'd imagine it's something similar for you. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, I'm not going to, I don't want to blow past it. You mentioned, you know, Sam was talking to a therapist and this would be kind of the last thing that I, I do want to talk about. And I do want to continue to move on because I want to unpack your journey. But like a lot of the people I talk to are, it, on here or in general, like mental health is a topic that comes up, right? And how people deal and how people, and like, I don't know, in our pre-conversation, you you mentioned, you know, you were, you you even did like, you you had a therapist who said you spit in the face of fear. Like, but Mm -hmm. do you, from a mental health perspective, what, what do you think, or, and again, this is not medical advice, anything like that. And uh, make sure that like, what do you think, or what did you do that allowed you to help deal with some of those things? Um, this has been something I've actually learned over the years, but talking to people and it doesn't even have to be a therapist. Um, I've learned that just being open and communicative can get you so far in life. And if you let people in, if you have good people skills and you're able to um, portray your own thoughts and visions and ideas clearly, um, a lot of things will end up working out in your favor. And It also, though, I think is really good for your own mental health, just to be able to, um, to share what's going on and all of the internal networks and intricacies, because I don't think we're meant to keep, uh, all of it to ourselves Mm -hmm. and being able to, share with other people. It's sort of like, uh, a mirror. You can kind of, you can see yourself and your ideas more clearly, I think through other people. Um, even with, I don't know, when I'm trying to make a big decision, Mm. I'll go around and to at least several people and, um, basically lay out the scenario for them and ask them what they think. And one, I can see their reactions. And then two, uh, they can share their perspectives and um, any sort of views that I otherwise didn't see. Um, You're basically just gathering a bunch of data. And that gives you um, so much more clarity and experience, I think, than you otherwise would have just on your own. So talking to a therapist, talking to family, talking to friends, talking to whoever, um, one, it gets you outside of your own head. And then two, it just, uh, it adds, uh, more perspective and, and, uh, I think viewpoints that you otherwise, you, you just can't have on your own, um. 
No, I get it. And again, I agree with you. And the word that kept coming up for me as you were talking about is like your tribe, right? Who, like, who are you surrounding yourself with that you can do this and lean into? But the one, I guess, caveat or the one disclaimer for me is the, the word vulnerability, right? And being able to be vulnerable and being your true self, because it does you no good or it does me no good to sit and surround myself with people and share this kind of where I'm at and what's going on if it's not actually what's in my head or if it's a opposite side of that. And that's like, that's my only thing that I love it. And I think that there, like, I love to do that, but it's got to be what's coming from your mind and your heart, in my opinion. Yes. And I think it takes, it takes practice and it takes yeah. some, some skills to be able to express yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it does take some time and it's hard. Like a lot of times people will be feeling a certain, certain way or a certain thing and it's really hard for them to unpack it and, and even figure out what it is and then put it into words. Um, so it's definitely not, not an easy thing, but it, it is a skill that can be developed over time. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it will get you very far in whatever you're, you're pursuing in life, say it's business, um, professional sports, whatever it is, having the ability to, to communicate in that way. Um, it, I mean, it's all about the people and it's all about uh relations i guess so communication is one of the biggest things i hear the sirens in the background yeah i hear yep Uh, do you do you perk up when you hear them i'm always like oh that's my friends yeah my brothers too like again whenever back home with them like they you hear somebody you hear a side oh that oh that's sea chef that is so-and-so's working like it's just yeah i get it um sorry i digress like it was it was like the shiny object. Um, so as you're going through these things and you're surrounding yourself with people, right? Like, and, and let's transition, let's go past Stanford. And then you're going kind of on the next leg of your journey, okay. right? You're, you're trying to, to figure out what's next, right? Like, how are you weighing it out? Where do you go? What's the kind of next evolution of Carly? So I was pretty fortunate because while I was at Stanford, I got asked to go train on the U S national team. So already, um, I knew that was my next step and this opportunity was already there for me. So Karch had me come in the gym, um, and do some training with the team. And I also was getting, um, interest from foreign clubs, professional Mm -hmm. um, so before I graduated, I had a contract with RC Can in France. Oh, no kidding. Racing Club de Can. Yeah. Um, so those things just kind of fell in place. And I think it's because I had a, um, a su- successful college career and it just set things up for me. Sure. Um, I did graduate with a degree in human biology. Um, so that was something I was interested in and passionate about, but I knew that uh, professional volleyball career <laughs> was taking off for me. And that was something I was going to write out for um, as long as I could. So went for it. 
Um, I played with the indoor national team for four years from 2014 to 2018. And I also played overseas in France, Turkey, Japan, and China for those four years. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And again, I've been fortunate to talk to a couple of people and know people like have done it. And you even touched on it earlier, right? The evolution into playing overseas and kind of what that does to the psyche, to the individual and all that stuff. I mean, that's, and those different spots, I've heard pros and cons about each spot that you've stopped. Yes. Yeah. No, it was, it was, I wouldn't take it back for the world. I think I grew so, so much, um, Every year I lived overseas and I got to travel and see the world and experience these different cultures, different foods, uh, met so many amazing people. Um, so the pro, I think the pros totally outweigh the cons, but, um, again, it's always, it is challenging to go live in a foreign country by yourself. <laughs> what, what was your favorite stop along the road? Uh, my favorite was Japan. Why is that? So I, lived, I lived in Ishiyama, which is just outside Kyoto. And I loved my team and how uh, they made me feel so welcome. I remember before, before I moved in, I was getting emails from them. And they asked me what my favorite color was. And I was like, why did they ask me what my favorite color was? And I was like, uh, blue. They're like, okay, we're, we're making your apartment a blue theme. And I was like, Oh my gosh. They just oh like, yeah, they went out of their way to uh, make me feel welcome and comfortable. And that is hard to find, I think, in, in some other countries. But the Japanese culture is also very, has very high level of respect and discipline and just strong values um, that I agree with. Um, and then you can see it transcend into how... Uh, the team functioned and worked and uh, they did all their, the cleaning at the gym themselves, all the girls did. And um, it was just so uh, team oriented. Like everyone had each other's backs. Um, well, and it's, it also sounds like, again, from the, the structure, the discipline, the, the values and all that stuff, right? It kind yeah. of almost sounds like it aligns with the, kind of how you were brought up. And then on top of that, right, like, let's take a page out of Stanford's books as well. Like, I mean, again, like, that's just kind of it, the evolution, the evolution of you, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and the work ethic was amazing. The coaches were, were very kind, but um, they also... Uh, pushed me and, um, I don't know, taught me a lot. I had a translator, so that was very helpful. Oh, I'd imagine. Yes. Um, the food was amazing. Oh my gosh, the sushi. So I was going to say, what was your favorite thing? Was it the sushi? Yeah. Sushi was so good. Uh, they love nature. So there was beautiful gardens all over the place. Um, Kyoto is the one with the, uh, with the orange, the gates, correct? If, yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. So overall it was, it was just a beautiful country to be in. Um, beautiful people. And I don't know. I had a great time playing with them. Was that, your, was that your last stop? No, my last stop was the next year I played in Beijing, China. Got it. Okay. 
And so if we're kind of going chrono- like chronological, right? Like Beijing, China is the last, the last stop on the foreign, on the foreign tour for you. Like what caused the stop? What made you decide to call it quits? Um, so I came back from Beijing and it was a tough, I think that was maybe my toughest season. China mm-hmm. was just challenging. Um, and I went to visit my brother in Hawaii because he was going to college there um, for, it was just for a weekend. Uh, and we were out surfing. Um, and I don't even know exactly how it occurred, but I was riding a wave and I went to turn the board and jump off. And my left knee caved in and popped because I mm. was pushing off that leg. Um, so I got back on the board and I was like, Oh my gosh, what just happened? And I, oh, no. I started paddling to shore and I was bending my knee, trying to like see if it hurt. Um, and I got in um, where I could stand up and stood up and I just started bawling because oh, it no. hurt so bad. And I was like, I tore my ACL. I tore my ACL. Um, ended up not being my ACL. I actually um, tore my MCL, which is a lot better. I didn't have to have surgery, but it took me out of the summer with the national team, which was pretty devastating for me because I had put in four years already and um, it was going to be a big summer for me to really establish myself and see see where I could position myself on rosters um, that season and coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have to kind of put in your time with the national team. And I think up till then I had been putting in my time. So it, this was, uh, I don't know, a big opportunity for me. And then the injury took me out of it. So um, Karch was very supportive though. And I'm very grateful that he let me be there and rehab. Um, and by the time uh, it came uh, time again to sign another contract for the next season. I just wasn't quite healthy yet. Mm-hmm. So didn't sign. And then I was sitting in Hermosa, which was where I was living. I was just commuting to Anaheim every day and I didn't know what to do because it was the first time I was sitting at home with yeah. this nine month period ahead of me, um, without a contract. So I was like, okay, I'll guess I'll start playing some beach volleyball. Um, started playing beach volleyball and at this point, uh, Carrie Walsh had just started the P1440 program. Mm -hmm. So some Brazilian coaches were out on the beach holding, uh, some great practices for players and they saw me and, uh, took me in. Um, and I got, I don't know, started to develop pretty quickly, um, and I also fell in love with the beach volleyball game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's so fun. It's it's so different, but um, I don't know. It's similar to indoor, but it's so different. And you're out in the elements. Um, you're so much more involved in the game, I think. Mm-hmm. And you have more control in a sense because there's just two of you. So uh, Brittany Hochbar 
saw me and picked me up as a partner. And we, it was kind of like getting baptized by fire, but we immediately started playing on the FIBB tour and on the ABP tour. Um, yeah. So here you go, right? Like, like you said, child by fire. And again, it's not like Brittany's a, a no-name individual. I mean, again, very well-respected and decorated member of the beach volleyball community. Yes, for sure. I was. It was the coolest experience to get to play with her. Um, but yeah, it was. I think it was certainly challenging in times because I just wasn't. Um, I didn't have the beach foundation under yeah. my belt quite yet. So, uh, I could tell for her, it was frustrating a little bit. Um, but I don't know it was really fun. We we're both uh, athletic. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I'm curious, right? Like, so you pick this up, right. And uh, I'm going to rewind in our conversation to where we talked about like leaning into people and all of that stuff and, you know, bouncing stuff off of like, is there a point in time that you're sitting there and you're going, okay, like, maybe this is, maybe this is where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do full time. And how do you, how do you start kind of zooming out enough and bouncing ideas off of people to then come to whatever conclusion you landed on? Mm -hmm. So I basically reached a point where I was trying to decide um, if I should try to go to the Olympics for beach volleyball or try to go to the Olympics for indoor volleyball. Mm. <laughs> Cause up to, up to that point, um, my main goal was, uh, to go win an Olympic gold medal with the indoor national team. Um, that's what it, it was all about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Brittany wanted to try to make an Olympic run, uh, for, um, 2020. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was such a hard decision, but kind of comical in a sense, because I would go ask people like, should I try to go to the Olympics for beach volleyball or indoor volleyball? And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that you get to even like, this is your choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, but gosh, I felt like for me personally, just my heart and my passion was leaning towards beach and I had this indoor career under my belt, um, but there was a, an opportunity in beach volleyball. Um, there wasn't that, there aren't that many um, female blockers, especially for Team USA right now. Mm -hmm. And it was a risky move, but I think part of me liked the risk also. Spit in, um, the, spit in the face of fear, right? Yes. I like, oh my gosh, I, I love challenges. So I liked the challenge that it posed and um, I wanted to see if we could do it. Um, so tech, I don't think that's the most logical um, thing, but uh, I did have a lot of discussions with other people and, um, and I didn't make a hasty decision. Um, so in the long run, I decided, uh, to play beach volleyball. And here you are. I mean, MBO, you know, last weekend and all that stuff, but like that's, that, there's a big span in between there, right? You make this decision, then it's okay. 
now I've got to commit to it. Now I've got to do this. And again, figure out a different way of life as well. Because again, you were talking, you were getting paid professionally. You were getting doing all this stuff. So like, yes, <laughs> what did that look like? It was, that was, I think the most challenging piece um, with indoor volleyball, you're getting paid a set salary because you're signing a contract and they pay you monthly and you put in the work, you put in the time, you get the money for beach volleyball. It's not that way at all. So you uh, do not have a set salary. Um, you basically make money by winning or by sponsorship. Mm. Um, USA beach will offer some stipend if you're, um, uh, one of the top teams. It's the top handful of teams. Yeah. Top handful of teams. Yeah. Um, so it's that I think is one of the biggest detriments to this sport is how financially difficult it is to navigate as a professional. And it's just sad because uh, you see a lot of talented players trying to make it work. um, But the, the resources and foundation just aren't quite there. Um, So I saw it as an investment and I knew I was going to lose money going into it. Um, So went and played. I spent a good amount of money um, and I did get a lot better. Um, I reached out to Anna Collier after uh, my first season and I really needed a beach volleyball coach. So uh, she agreed to help me and in like a matter of two months, I saw my game just skyrocket. It was pretty amazing because she, um, she coached at USC. Uh, and I think she knew, uh, she just knew how to teach me the the basics and the fundamentals that I really needed. And I didn't really have a chance, um, prior to learn those. So, uh, learn those, and I was practicing with April and Alex, helping them get ready for the Olympics a little bit, um, practicing with Sarah Hughes, and just a lot of top players um, who I admired and looked up to, and we were beating other teams. Um, so who, was, were you, who, who were you competing with, or was it just kind of whoever was around? Um, just did, other- did you have a set partner at that time, or...? No, I was I was practicing with Sarah a little bit against mm-hmm. other um, foreign teams. Got it. I think she was uh, she didn't have a set partner at the moment, and then Alex was uh, dealing with some injuries, so mm-hmm. I would just fill in for her every once in a while with April. But I remember we played against like Carrie Walsh and Brooke, and. Mm-hmm. One and I was just like, this is the coolest thing. I mean, April, <laughs> April probably did like 90% of the work, but I was there. <laughs> you contributed at least a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, and then COVID hit and everything just got canceled. So that was really challenging for me um, because I feel like at that point, I really started to... Uh, see where I could go in this sport and I really started to believe in it um, and then 
everything was sort of taken away and this um, uncertainty about um, if it would even come back um, came into play. Um, And I went to Santa Barbara during the quarantine uh, to stay with my family. And I was just like peppering against the walls in my backyard and trying when you were 12 years old. Yeah. Like trying to, to keep my touch and, um, doing backyard workouts. And I was trying so hard, uh, to just stay ready. And, um, I think a lot of professional athletes, uh, struggled with the same things, but it was just, it was so hard knowing, not knowing when we would get our sport back. Um, and it was at this time where, um, I'd been thinking about being a firefighter for quite some time. Okay. Hold Um, on. Hold on. I'm going to pause you there because literally we're going, okay, we're going volleyball. We're going beach volleyball. I've been thinking about being a firefighter for for (laughs) a long, like where the heck did this come from? And like, you got to tell. Okay. So I remember seeing firefighters growing up and I just thought they were real life heroes. I remember looking at them in complete awe, just being like, Oh my God, they're that's, it's like, I don't know, a hero right there. Yeah. And, um, but I really didn't know much about them. I just knew that they went and they, they put out fires, um, and did amazing things. And, as I, I think it was around college, college years, and definitely when I was on the indoor national team, um, I just decided that that was something I wanted to do. And I remember telling my teammates, like, I think I want to be a firefighter. And they, were, they would just look at me and be like, wait, actually, I think you'd be really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but still, I didn't know. I didn't know much about it. I just um, knew that they... Uh, saved people and I liked the the vision of it basically mm-hmm. I was like oh that would be the coolest thing to be a firefighter um, and then there's not that many female firefighters too right. so uh, for me uh, again I liked the challenge of it and I was like I I'm sen- I've got I'm sensing this theme with you you've got this theme this challenger yeah. theme I got it give me a challenge and I'll do it um but, uh, yeah, being, being a female firefighter, um, and kind of paving that way, um, is definitely something that made the career appeal even more to me. Um, so I went to a recruitment seminar when I was on the international team after practice one day, I, I just drove to this college where, um, the LEFD was holding a, a recruitment orientation seminar and they went more, it basically just goes more into depth about what the job really entails. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking out and I was like, this is what I want to do. I just saw your face. I mean, it was just literally like, this is uh, like you lit up. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's yeah, no, so cool. Go. It, it totally, that's, that's exactly how I felt. It, it lit me up because I felt like, um, there's so much I can offer with professional sports and, um, there's a lot of impact I can make people I can inspire, empower, but, and I think a lot of other professional athletes, 
um, feel the same way. It's there's uh, a lot of us feel like there's more we can give and we're not entirely fulfilled um, just playing a sport. Mm. So with firefighting, um, I felt like it was completing what I can offer to the world. And for me, that felt um, so fulfilling to be able to um, give, I guess, directly make impact in, in all these ways. And um, I have a degree in human biology and it's uh, a lot of firefighting is emergency medicine. So mm -hmm. that correlation for me, I'm like, okay, I'll be using my degree, uh, especially as a paramedic. Um, and then it's extremely physical, which I love. I know I'm a very physical person and there's a high level of risk and performing under pressure, I guess, mm -hmm. involved, which again is very in line with, um, my personality. So, uh, the, I, the more I learned about it, the more I just felt like it was, um, a perfect job for me, uh, in the long run, but I didn't know if I would ever be able to pursue it because right. I was playing professional volleyball. It took up all my time and, um, my pro career was something I was very passionate about and I wanted to write it out. I still wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, so when COVID hit, uh, it basically presented an opportunity, uh, to lean into firefighting because for the first time in years, I had this chunk of time with nothing to do. Mm -hmm. um, the problem was it, uh, everything was like closed. So the first thing I needed to do was take uh, a bunch of online or fire and science technology courses. Mm -hmm. So I took them online um, through El Camino college mm. and I took four courses um, which was actually, it was a unit overload and I had to get approval from the school <laughs> to basically just immerse yourself in it to take that many courses at, oh my at gosh. And so I had to send them, um, my Stanford, uh, graduate certificate. And then they were like, oh, okay, you can take them. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, but I had a, a timeline. I had to finish those courses so I could enroll in this private fire academy at El Camino College and start that in um, 2020. I think it was like April or May of 2020. So um, took those courses, got into the private academy, started that. It was a five-month academy. Um, you're there at 4.30 every day. You leave at 5 p.m. And it's basically boot camp. Wow. It's um, very paramilitary, uh, very physical. Yeah. I mean, again, as I mentioned, you know, I've got two brothers that are firefighters back in Ohio. I'm very proud oh, of them. Yeah, they and I've I've heard a lot of you know those things, and again, obviously, I'm assuming it it base it's based on region, but again, it's still it it is it's that boot camp menta boot camp mentality. It's okay, we're going to push you and do this. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, they basically yeah go um 
the fire service is very traditional in a lot of senses. Mm -hmm. And the training is super important because you're going out. It's, it's a lot like sports. I mean, you're, you're working as a team. Um, you're going out and you're trying to accomplish this task, but if you mess up and make a mistake, you can die (laughs) or somebody else can die. So the training is, is that much more serious. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's approached from a paramilitary standpoint. Um, It's not because they're trying to break you. I think it's um, because of the seriousness of it. Um, So they trained us hard and you're put in a lot of uh, difficult situations, physically and mentally, Mm -hmm. um, kind of to test you and see see if you're fit to be a firefighter. Um, you have to be able to drag and carry people out of, out of buildings, upstairs, downstairs. You have to be able to throw ladders, which are um, hundreds of pounds. I say not like. It's not, it's not like you get to do a warm up in your stretches and mo- mobility before you, you get a, um, I know the tones go off at, 1 a.m. in the morning, you run down, throw your stuff on, and then you're there um, going to action. So uh, it's uh, definitely a very physical job. But I'm tall, which is uh, actually a big Hmm. advantage for me because uh, for ladders especially, having uh, height is helpful. And then uh, I'm strong. So it, uh, the physical part of the job, I think is not, uh, is not one of my weaknesses. Uh, And again, it's, and I'd imagine it it took some learning, but to your point, right? Like you, what you've been through has kind of brought you to, to this moment, right? I mean, your physical attributes, your strength and all that stuff. I'm curious though, right? Like, cause this is kind of one of those shifts, right? Like it's, it's kind of a little bit of a, a career change or a shift around, you know, where you were and where you were going. Like mm-hmm. I, you said, you, you're like, Hey, this has been almost my North star, right? I talked to a lot of people about what's the North star and where am I going and having that vision in mind? You've had that, which is amazing, but like, it's still to the external people, right? Like this is a total paradigm shift for you and how, like, how how did you deal with the naysayers? How did you explain what was going on, what you were up to, and honestly come to terms with like, look, this is what I'm going to be doing? Yes. Um, it was really hard for me. Um, I had invested so much in volleyball up to this point, and I didn't see I, – I wasn't done either but I felt like I needed to start something else too. Mm. So I told myself, okay, volleyball is always going to be there. I'm going to try this and I'm going to give it my all. And then if I ever want to uh, go back and play, I will. And my biggest, honestly, my dream going into it was uh, to eventually do both to, to be a firefighter because the schedule is very flexible Um, and once you're through probation, you can move all your shifts around and then, uh, I could 
basically move things around and go play in the AVPs. So, um, but it basically offers all the benefits um, and financial stability that I couldn't find in volleyball up to that point. Um, And I was passionate about it. So I remember reading this book. um, Oh my gosh. It's called The Defining Decade. And Mm. it's basically about how your 20s are the most important years of your life and that you're basically setting yourself up uh, for the rest of your lifetime and how so many young people are afraid to just try things and to make a decision, to make a move. Um, And the author talked about how important she thinks it is to um, get a job. And you see a lot of, a lot of, uh, young people traveling and trying to find themselves and, um, just kind of floating. But I think the, I think you learn the most by diving in and by taking action and, uh, learning along the way. So something I, I really came to, um, grasp, I think in the last year is that there's no such thing as wrong decisions. Mm. And I actually had a good conversation with Anna about this. Um, but, uh, basically the, the only wrong decision is no decision followed by inaction, I guess, because anytime you decide to uh, make a choice and take action and actually give something your best um, and fully invest yourself in it. Uh, You're gathering data, you're learning, you're experiencing things out in the world. And I think that experience is priceless in the long run. And you learn more about I know things you like, things you don't like. Um, you uh, learn a lot of uh, just life skills, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's things I've learned in fire that there's no way I could have ever learned in any other avenue in life. Um, so uh, I just urge people, I know that so many people are thinking about things that they want to do and they're just a little bit afraid to to take that leap um and i think uh, having the guts to to go for it and i don't know trusting trusting your instincts too i think is something i've really been working on um it it will take you really far but there's no such thing as a wrong decision yeah yeah, you're spot on, right? And again, I think the challenging thing that some people come across, and myself included at times, right? You sit and you labor on a decision and you're like, oh, do I, don't I, do I, don't, like the analysis by paralysis, you know, that old you know mentality, right? Like, and from what I hear from you is it's like, look, just do, like collect the data, go out and try it on. And again, the challenge, I'll be a little vulnerable here, right? Like, I mean, being a husband, being a father, being that kind of stuff, like, 
when you sit and you think about the things that you are <clears throat> responsible for or have a hand in, and then you're laboring some of those things, that stuff's challenging, right? And again, I, I go through those moments myself, but I think hearing you say that, like that it rings in my ear, right? Like, you know, if you don't try it on, if you don't do your best, you don't go ahead and give your all, you're not going to, like, you're not going to know, right? And God willing, you know, go ahead. I just think, um, for example, with like, with, if I, because firefighting and volleyball are, are made too, yeah. basically right now, but there, everything I've gone, like when I was going through fire academies, when I was, um, getting my ass kicked basically every day, um, I would think about how this was building me and giving me an edge that nobody else was going to have. In a way. Ooh. And no, now, yeah, go. <laughs> No, now when I get on the court, I can be facing some of the top players um, on the APP tour or even in the world and look across them, look across the net at them. And they, I mean, I have a ton of respect for them and in their game and I know everything they've, they've done to get there, but nobody else has done what I've done. And so I, it gives, it gives me the coolest edge because mentally I can be, I can know that they haven't been in mm. the kind of fires I've been in. They haven't been through the kind of training I've been through or um, been pushed to that, to that point where you're literally about to pass out. Um, it, it gives me an edge. Um, and I think competitively, um, that is something I was looking for. Uh, so fire to me, everything has just been, uh, training and building me up, um, for the now, for everything that I can face now, whether it be, uh, a volleyball match, um, a car crash, a fire, um, it's all, uh, shaping me, mm. I guess. And, and again, I don't know, we didn't discuss this before. I, like, I don't know if you're religious or spiritual or anything like that, but like, I mean, again, it, it, I believe in God, like God's got a plan, right? And the journey that we've been on, we've discussed this a little bit before, like that shapes who we are and where we're at, right? Like, so I truly believe that like what you've been through, like the good, the bad, the ugly and all that stuff, like this is exactly where you're meant to be. And you're meant to make the world a better place by virtue of all of the things that you've endured and overcome and, you know, conquered and all of that stuff. So like, it's hearing you say that, like, yes, that gives you the edge. And I want to challenge people to think about it that way, right? Like if you're in the shit, like be in it and understand that when you come out of it, you've gotten you, through it. You've been through something that nobody else has. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that to me is that one of the, probably the most profound things that you've said throughout our whole conversation that I, I implore people to sit and pay attention to, right? Because again, everybody's journey is unique, everybody. And that's the quicker we can embrace it and the quicker we can understand what we've been through shapes us and it's unique to us. That allows us to remind ourselves that we're one of ones and we can do whatever the hell we really want to. Yes. Yo, <laughs> damn. I mean, 
Like you're, and I said this, like you're an inspiration, right? Like what, what you've been through inspires me at the age of 43 to sit and reflect and figure out what challenges I can be a part of and what I want to be up to, because it's very easy to kind of pull back. It's easy to go ahead and easy to get comfortable. What's that? It's easy to settle. Yeah. I think one, and then it's easy to get comfortable. And um, I think a lot of people settle for less than what they want or what they deserve. And mm. if you have the the guts to say no, I'm going to push for more. Um, that's how you'll get it. But you see, so many people, so many people in life, they'll just settle for a job that they don't really like or um, sadly, like they'll marry someone who um, is probably not the most compatible partner. And there's it's good enough. It's good enough. Yes. And if you, uh, then you're going to have that. But if you, if you have the courage to say, no, I'm going to keep, keep pushing for my vision and what I really want then you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're going to get there. Um, you just have to, I don't know, to not settle for the, for what's comfortable, I guess. What I'm going to encourage you to do. And again, I think that we're, we're coming to a point to where we can kind of wrap it all together, but I want to encourage you. And that's what I'm grateful for this platform and the opportunity that I have is to basically be a megaphone for people like you, right. To, to celebrate and share your voice because your voice and what you've done and said is powerful and more people need to hear this. And however I can personally help you get that message out there, I will do that to the ends of the earth. Because again, like I sit and I watch you just in the time that we've talked. And again, you and I didn't know each other prior to, but you inspire me and you can inspire so many others. And there's a reason that our paths have crossed. So like, I'm using this as a moment of like gratitude and thankful for you sharing everything and you going through what you've been through. And however I can sit and support you, I am here for it because that's like the people need, people need to hear about you and need to hear your message. Thank you, Steve. That means a lot. I mean, it's you, you are the type of person that the world needs more of. And I'm like, the problem is we get I'm going off on a tangent and I'm going to, but I'm going to take it. Like we get so wrapped up in people that get put on these pedestals. And again, some people deserve to be there and others do not. And again, I'm not saying put you on a pedestal, but I think that people, more people need to hear from you and about you. And we're going to make that happen. Wow. All right, let's do it. All right. I don't know what we're going to do, but literally you and I are going to brainstorm this and I'm going to help. We're going to figure this out because like, that's, that's what I do. I can, I, I, I connect dots and I was writing this down the other day that like, literally I love hearing people's stories and getting people to share and understand their stories and then help them figure out what it is they want to create and what their life looks like because of what they've been through. And that's like, there to me there's a reason that we've connected so we'll talk offline but like i just literally want to say thank you like i'm truly truly grateful that you said yes to you know me reaching out to you and asking if you wanted to share your story because i knew it but like it's much more powerful coming from you and i'm truly grateful for that and that said again 
I know I sent you a couple, you've listened to a couple of the podcasts and I, I want to finish with a simple question, but yet it's a question that to me is kind of the ultimate culmination of our conversation. And mm-hmm. I, like how, if somebody asked you and came up to you and asked you the question, who is Carly Wilpat? What would you say? Who is Carly Wilpat? Oh my gosh, that's a hard question. There's no wrong answers. You know that. Yeah. I would just hope my name in itself would evoke some type of meaning. (laughs) Um, I want to be remembered, I think, as somebody who is not afraid to take risks and um, push the boundaries and really go after the kind of life um, she wanted. And I think being uh, a strong representation for females is also very important to me. especially for younger females, um, athletes and firefighters who are both trying to pursue those careers. So, uh, I want to be remembered as, uh, I don't know, a volleyball player and firefighter, somebody who went after what they were passionate about and made it happen. Um, paved the way, I guess. Sometimes the the road isn't clear. And especially with what I'm trying to do right now, um, there, nobody else has really done it before. So (laughs) I have to figure out um, a lot of my own solutions. And I have to talk to talk to a lot of people and um, make things happen uh the way i envision it and again that just takes it takes a lot of communication it takes a lot of help i think from other people um and it takes knowing what you're about and what you want and uh having the courage to stick to it even when not everyone's going to understand um or i guess uh, support you in that. I think the big thing, one last thing that I'll celebrate you on is like it, what you've proven is it doesn't matter if people are going to support you or stand by you or anything like that, provided you have the conviction and you have your vision and your mindset and you're working towards whatever it is you're setting out there to do. So again, I, I can't thank you enough. And you mentioned like the inspiration for females, for athletes, for firefighters and all that stuff. Like, you better believe that my daughter, who's not even six, is going to know who the hell Carly Wilpat is because of what you're doing and how you talk and the road that you are paving or the trail that you're blazing on your own. So I'm going to, like me personally, I'm going to make sure of that. Oh, thank you. Okay. Um, so before we say goodbye, I want to give everybody the opportunity, like where can people connect to you if they're inspired by you, want to dig in more, want to learn more about you, your journey, like what's the best place to do that? Uh, so I do have some social media platforms. 
You can find me on Instagram at Carly Wopat. And then I also have a Facebook, Carly Wopat as well. I'm not on the Facebook as much, um, but I think it's linked to my Instagram. So mm-hmm. a lot of things are shared there as well. Um, and then, yeah, if you, if you ever want to reach out to me, I think reaching out to me through Instagram uh, would be the best way. Perfect. And we'll, we'll link, we'll link your, uh, you know, Instagram and your Facebook, you in the show notes and whatnot and give people the opportunity. And if somebody out there is listening, wants to connect, wants to connect through me to Carly, happy to just feel free to reach out and we'll connect dots. That's very yeah, easy. You can, you can give them my email address. I just don't want to say it on this. No, you're absolutely <laughs> fine. And not worry about it. Not again, I'm cognizant of all that. So, um, you know, as we close again, I, I've offered moments of gratitude and all that stuff, but like, Seriously, it's Friday afternoon. You're getting ready to go ahead and see family and do some training and everything. I, I'm grateful that you took the time out of your day to chat with me and then honestly inspire me and inspire the people that are going to be listening to this. So um, I have a feeling you and I are going to be close and I've, I've got a couple of things that just popped into my head. So we're going to, we'll talk offline a little bit later. But yeah, I feel like uh, there's still so much left to unpack. Yo, I mean, yeah. there. What, I mean, is there Thanks. any, go ahead. I mean, is there anything else or do, or do we want to, I'll tell you what, let's close this here and then let's put together some notes and then let's do a follow-up. Okay. That's easy. Sure. Because this is just, I mean, an hour and 35 minutes in, you know, I mean, this is going to, this is going to wet the whistle. (laughs) Yes. I dig it. Okay. Well, until next time, um, we'll, we'll say goodbye and then uh, we'll connect and we'll figure it out from here. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Steve, for the opportunity. No worries, Carly. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. There's one word that comes to mind when I think about Carly, and that is badass. Carly inspires me in the way that she lives her life on purpose and how she looks at the things that have happened to her, not as things that define her, but as things that motivate her. Thank you for your vulnerability, Carly. I know that through your sharing your story, you have impacted so many others out there. What were your takeaways? What were you left with? Let me know over on my Instagram at Steve Venzel, S-T-E-V-E-V-E-N-C-L on the post for this episode. Additionally, please share this with someone who may benefit from hearing these words. That's what it's about, sharing people's stories and understanding how to keep moving forward. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And until next time, keep moving forward even if it is just one small step at a time.